know, tell your neighbor you like the shoes this morning. Well, it's good to see you, good to see you, good to see you. I want to welcome those that are watching online. Uh, if you're in bed right now, my, you know, those TVs are smart TVs, so, you know, we, we, we can see what's going on there. So no more coffee, okay? Listening, listen, what's going on? You know, I'm just te- you know I'm just teasing here. But today we're going to get a real serious subject. We're going to talk about the war in Israel. We're going to talk about what the Bible describes as the Battle of Armageddon. But what I want to first do is I want to give you some history of Israel and the promised land. This battle is, is, is stated, it's a battle for the land. This land called Palestine. Uh, and, and though it is a battle for the land, it's also a demonic attempt to try to eradicate followers of God, believers in Jesus Christ, the future chosen people of God. And then I'm going to close with what Jesus said about the last days and his coming in Matthew chapter 24. So I think it's going to be not only historical, it'll be insightful, but it will be, uh, it will be very practical as well. And my title is a real long one. You know, when I went to, to, uh, to speech class or an English class, they said, your title needs to be very short. Well, I've defied my English teacher today, and I have a longer title. It is Israel, War, and Armageddon, dot, 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 watching, ready, and eager. Israel, War, and Armageddon, watching, ready, and eager. Because I may know there's some world events I can do nothing about. I can do nothing about who the Antichrist is and when he will appear. But how many know there are things that I can do and there is a place for peace for me as I watch the turmoil in the world. Now, I believe, our, this is a part of our series, Our Best Life Now. How many know our best life is not dependent on our circumstances? Our best life is not dependent on how much money I have, but our best life now, I'm suggesting, is lived in this season, watching, ready, and eager for the second coming of Jesus Christ. So let me say this, I am not an expert on the sequence of end-time events. This Bible that I promote, the Spirit-Filled Life Bible, uh, this is my second one. I hope everybody will get one. I hope we run out and have to order more. It is that good, the commentary, the notes, the, the explanation of terminology and culture. But in the intro to the book of Revelation, it has nine, I believe I'm correct, nine different interpretations for the sequence of end-time events. So I'm not going to pretend to know more than they do, but what I am going to tell you about some things that will happen with biblical certainty that we can look for and how we can be ready for what's going to be the most exciting days ahead. Come on, for the Christian, the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are looking beyond the wars and the troubles to the King of kings and Lord of lords. So let's jump into this this together. Genesis chapter 12 I want to give you first this, some history, history and background of Israel and the promised land. Now, we go to the Bible for our search. How many know most likely the house that you're living in, if you have a deed to that land, most likely it's not been yours forever? My house, several years ago, uh, a couple of guys I didn't know walked up and said, hey, we used to live here. Would it be okay if we walked around and looked at the property? And I'd been digging up in my garden all sorts of things. It was apparently a garbage dump. I was digging up glass out of there. I would find parts uh, of, of what people used to use to plow with mules. So apparently there was a little homestead there and someone had owned the land before me. Well, you could even trace it back to when it was part of the Louisiana Purchase before it belonged to the Indians. I mean, you can trace back the beginning in many cases of who initially owned the land. And we can do that today to help us understand this war in Israel. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, Ur of the Chaldees, and go to the land. Go to the land that I will show you. This is called the promised land or the land of promise. And notice verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. That's why we're sending aid right now to this church I showed you in Jerusalem. There's only 2% Christians. I believe in humanitarian aid for every human being on the planet that needs it. But how many know if you can get a gospel message that goes along with it, how many know that's a better thing? 
and uh, they're using what you're sending. We sent $8,100 the first week. Last week, I think about $1,200 came in. But if you want to give towards that, this is a way that we can bless Israel in addition to praying. Uh, And then he says this, I'll curse those who treat you with contempt. But perhaps the most intriguing and, and meaningful verse of the entire message is this, where God says, all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, how can this be? Every human being on the world can be blessed through this one man, Abraham. Well, I'll tell you, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, one of which was named Judah. And through Judah, Jesus Christ was born, the Savior of the world. And Abraham taught us how to receive our salvation by faith in Christ alone. That's why the Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, will have everlasting life. So this is why that the families of the earth. Now, if I could interject for just a moment, the crisis also starts here because Abraham had two sons. How many know when we help God, we always get in trouble? Abraham was getting older, couldn't have a baby. Sarai was getting older, no children, never had children. She was barren and decided, I'm going to help God. And uh, she suggested Abraham, um, well, have relations with her her servant, Hagar. And uh, Abraham didn't fight it. I guess she was a cutie. Ishmael was born. Isaac and Ishmael separated, and the Ishmaelites became a large part of the Arabs and Palestinian people, and they opened hostility in the home when he was born. Are you with me today? So anyway, Genesis chapter 13, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can in every direction. I am giving all this land to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. In other words, here's the basis of Israel because Isaac was the child of promise. Isaac was one through whom the world would be blessed because of Jesus Christ. This is where this lineage of the land comes from. Now, there's a couple pictures behind me. Let me show you this uh, promised land of the nation of Israel. This one on the left. Now, in my notes, I have very detailed notes, extensive bibliography. You can just get our app. It says notes on the bottom. Click on it, and there you go. But you can see that this promised land was mentioned in several places. Now, broadly, let's see. This red outlines the boundaries of the promised land originally. It included Egypt. Uh, Where else are we here? Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Syria. Up top is Turkey. And guess what this little bit is right here? It's Israel. I couldn't find an exact number, but this broad piece of land is hundreds of thousands of square miles, though Israel originally only inhabited 30,000 square miles. But this is the picture after Moses. You can see the various tribes, Zebulun, Issachar, Manasseh, Ephraim. This is the land that they lived, 30,000 square miles. Now, today, the nation of Israel occupies a land that is about 8,500 square miles, and there are less than 9 million people that live there. Yet, most, uh, well, all jihadists, And many Palestinian and Arabs want to eradicate these 8.6 million people from the face of the earth. Why did this start? This again, something demonically inspired, Hagar, Ishmael. Of course, they're not the only ones that inhabited the land, Ishmael's descendants. How many know Noah had three kids that got off the ark? One of them was in the promised lineage. How many know uh, Esau and Jacob? You remember they were twins, they were brothers. Esau gave birth to kids, and Esau and Jacob had that same conflict. Lot's daughters had, uh, after they left Sodom and Gomorrah, they had uh, incest with their dad in the cave to perpetrate their tribe or their part of the human race, those people became Moabites, Moabites and Ammonites. They're in the land. And then, of course, we've got Ishmael. So this is the origin of this Israeli-Arab conflict, these two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. The Arabs, the Palestinians, the Muslims, synonymous names, 
Look to, Ish, look to Abraham. They believe in Abraham. They believe in the Abrahamic covenant. They just believe that the land belongs to them, and they want to get rid of, you know, they want to get rid of Israel. But this is where the conflict started, and I suggest to you that how many know God is always the one that gets to make the choice? I may not like his choice, but he makes the choice, and he chose Israel. He, he chose Jacob. And he rejected Esau as the promised land. Now, then, of course, this land um, is promised to Abraham. Uh, he, he goes there. His son, Isaac, goes there. Isaac gives birth to Jacob. Jacob has 12 kids. And then we have a famine. There's about 70 of them. In the famine, they go to Egypt. Some scholars believe there was as many as a million and a half to two million that came out of Egypt back to the promised land under Moses. And so we've got these 12 tribes that have inhabited it. And then the judges in Israel's doing this. They're getting close to God and away from God and disciplined and coming back to God. And judges and kings in the Bible is just like this. Well, the, the, the apex of the nation of Israel came under King David and King Solomon. Israel was a world superpower, much like the United States is today. But then sin came in. The Bible says Solomon, in his power, he married hundreds of women. Now, it's all I can do to take care of one wife. I don't know how he took care of, what do you have, eight or nine hundred women? But what they did is these women led him into spiritual idolatry. They led him into the worship of Baal. They led him into the worship of Astra. And before you know it, he's become an idolater. And the kingdom is split after Solomon, okay? So the kingdom is split, and then, lo and behold, it gets so bad, 700 years after Moses warned the people, they were taken into captivity. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, so their temple is destroyed. And then we find ourselves in books like Ezra, where they go back after the captivity, they rebuild a temple. It's only a small replica, but it's the same temple that was there when Jesus, when Christ, would come along. So we've got the Jews to this point, and now they are under foreign control. The, first the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, and then the Romans. And then we come to the time of Jesus, where, of course, there's still a Jewish nation, but they're on the backwater, the backside of the world. Now, let's jump ahead a number of years. 1917, the British government, who was more of a world power at that time, they made a promise for a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine. 1917. Well, it took about 30 or so years. In 1948, have you ever heard of what's called the Six-Day War? 1948, the United Nations decided that they would grant Israel a homeland. They relocated, I think it was six or 700,000 Palestinians. They created the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, and those guys have been fighting ever since. So that's kind of how we got to this place today. Uh, but let's go now to this war today. I want to talk about today's war, and I want to talk about the war to end all wars, what the Bible calls the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, October 7th, just a few days ago, today's the 22nd, two days and a week ago, there was an unprovoked sneak attack. I remember, I don't know what time it was there, but I know at my home, uh, I woke up. Uh, I, I just had ignored my phone all morning. I woke up. It was a Saturday. I was getting ready for church. And every headline under every news site I read showed pictures of thousands of Hamas rockets being fired, of Hamas soldiers going over the fences, attacking, paragliders coming in, people uh, people coming on through the beaches, attacking Israelis, killing and wounding thousands of people in a most barbarous way, beheading people, killing infant children, putting tires around the necks of people, filling them with gas, and setting them on fire. Uh, I, I read an article day before yesterday that they had given these soldiers, these Hamas soldiers, they had given them methamphetamine that would make them hyper and make them do some of these barbarous acts, supposedly. But anyway, that's what we've been watching. 
Now, Israel has said, we are going to destroy Hamas. We have been trying to negotiate ever since 1948, and they say publicly they want to kill us, so we're going to get rid of Hamas. The only problem is there are Palestinians there. There are Christian Palestinians there. There are those that don't want the war that are just caught up as innocent people, and Hamas is using these people as shields in their battle. False propaganda is coming out. I'm sure you've heard the headline when it first came out, Israel bombs hospital, kills 500 people. And the whole world now shifts from, it, from uh, 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 what happened to Israel to what they had supposedly done. Well, lo and behold, French intelligence and other intelligence tells us that the missile that destroyed the hospital was a faulty Hamas rocket. But you don't hear that in the national media. I read an article yesterday by a writer from the Washington Post who apologized for the misinformation that they had paper had been putting out. He said everything that comes out, everything you read through the Associated Press and other sources goes through several levels of revision and oversight to make sure it fits a political narrative. So we have moved from the place of the barbarism of killing innocent Israelis now to the place of Israel is becoming the bad guy once again. So the question is that we're all thinking now, when will it end? How will the world respond? China is sending warships there. We are sending planes and soldiers and money. The world is responding and then the big question in the back of my mind is, could this lead to the war of Armageddon? I cannot tell you how many people have texted me or, or sent me emails or articles about the second coming of Jesus Christ. These are all end-time events. Now, let me talk just a moment about Hamas. Hamas founded in 1987, and there are many groups like this. Hamas is, simply means the Islamic Fundamentalist Party, and I want to read just the intro to their, um, uh, what's it called, their charter. I mean, of the Constitution of the United States. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, you know, our Constitution. Well, Hamas has a Constitution, and here's how it begins. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it. Islam. Now we've moved not just from a people, a Palestinian people, to the religion of Islam who followed the prophet Muhammad, and we are intent to obliterate Israel. Franklin Graham tweeted that don't, that don't just think it's just Israel. They hate America too. They hate Christians too because they want world domination. Okay? So, uh, and if you don't think this is true, let me show you picture here. Now, this is just last Thursday. This is a Hamas picture. You see two flags that are burning. Which do you see? American flag. And what's the one behind it? Israeli flag. Now, let me read you a quote. It's from Ismail Hanaya. I think I said that right. I asked Siri three times to tell me how to pronounce his name. And they had this Arabic barrel, so I don't know what, whether I did a good job or not. But anyway, this guy is the chairman of Hamas's political bureau. And what that means is he's one of the higher ups in, 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 in the overall oversight of what they do. Here's what he said. He called for Arabs and Muslims to engage in a general mobilization across the globe and he urged for sympathizers of the terror organization. Now listen to this. In nearby countries, this is where the Armageddon is hinted at. In nearby countries to march towards Israel's borders, according to the Jerusalem Post. And you say, man, I'm glad that's in Israel and not in America. Do you know how many documented thousands of people have crossed our borders? Come on now, our poorest borders, just the ones that we know about that are from countries that recognize terrorism, that were themselves designated terrorists, who knows how many are in our country right now, and you know all of America could be shaken and stopped just like that. I don't know if you realize it, but you remember when 9-11 was happening? I'll tell you where we were. We were in the other building. We had just had staff prayer. Uh, 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 Pat's son called and said, Mom, y'all need to look at what's going on. Somebody's attacking America. Please try again later. Well, you weren't there. I was there. And those twin towers were bombed. Remember that? 
And the world kind of shut down. And then we started worrying about running out of toilet paper. I mean, that just tends to come up. The COVID, I mean, it didn't come up. Well, just like that, the world shuts down. People quit traveling. Airlines are shut down. We don't know how far it's going to go. A crisis could emerge. You've got to know that there are terror cells across America. You've got to know that there are probably dirty bombs across the world. I'm telling you, in a moment of time, things could change. And you, my friend, let somebody let off a dirty bomb, you will find that the world goes under lockdown and the UN will demand more power. Do you realize the UN now has an, a, whatever, the, whatever legal term it's, it's called, but they have a, a declaration that they're asking every nation in the, uh, uh, in the world to sign to turn over their sovereignty to, to the UN in case there is a global pandemic, think COVID, or a crisis. So just like that, these events could unfold before our eyes. Now we're going to go to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation is the most difficult book in the Bible for me to interpret. Anybody else? Because it is so filled with imagery. It is so filled with with, uh, uh, pictures. And here's another thing. It's repetitive. Now, it's a whole book of judgment, the wrath of God, but listen to this. Have you ever heard of the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls? These are all synonymous terms for the judgments of God. The the seals are in chapters 4 through 8, the seven trumpets, 8 through 11, and the seven bowls of God's wrath in chapter 15 and 16. And it's one of these bowls that I want to look at that heads us towards Armageddon. Revelation chapter 16 Bowls of God's wrath poured out. Now, let me say this chronologically. I think I'm correct on this. But chronologically, the battle of Armageddon is during what's called the Great Tribulation. And the anti, uh, after the, and this battle of Armageddon will be after the Antichrist appears. Well, now, this guy is not going to have a, 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 a headband that says, I am the Antichrist. He's going to be the president or he's going to be whatever term of whatever global uh, union there is. But uh, the Antichrist is already in place and people have already been forced to take the mark of the beast. And you do understand today that more and more countries are calling for a digital, um, what's the word, not only digital currency, but they're calling for a digital ID for every person so that we can be tracked across the world. This technology is there. Countries are embracing it. Thankfully, it's not in America. So all this is leading up to Revelation 16. Now, verse 1, John said, I heard a mighty voice, and this is God speaking to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. Now, I want you to listen to this sixth bowl. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up. Do you realize today the Euphrates River is drying up? That was that long streak of red that you saw that goes from Turkey all the way down to, I don't know, exactly where it ends up, but it ends up in some sea. Uh, do you realize 60 to 70 million people look to it for a water source, but if you Google it, you would see it looks like a dry lake bed right now. So, And I don't know if that's what this is referring to. I'm just simply telling you. They tell The world tells us it's global warming. I'm telling you it could be something more. Uh, Euphrates River dries up, so the king... Now, this is why. So the kings from the east could march their armies. These are people demonically inspired towards the west. What's in the west? Jerusalem and Israel without hindrance. Now verse 13, we see the demonic presence behind it. I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Who's the dragon? Satan himself. Who is the beast? The Antichrist, who is the false prophet. The false prophet is a spokesman of the Antichrist, both of which do miracles on the earth. They are demonic spirits who work miracles. Let that sink in. Demonic spirits work miracles, and they go, interesting, to, is it up there? They go to, no, it's not. There we go. All the rulers of the world. 
So there's a demonic influence that is affecting world politics against Israel. They gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day. And then Jesus pops up with this. This is in red in your Bible. I'm coming as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are those who are watching for me. And it's just like him saying, you're about to see something happen now, baby. Get ready. Because how many know there's no nuclear missile that can stop Jesus? Come on. There is no pistol. There is no, there is no shotgun. There is no crossbow. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. And with the sword of his mouth, he will destroy evil in the world. He will get rid of Satan in a moment of time and evil will be gone. Come on now. And we will be in a place called heaven forever and ever and evermore. We will be in a place where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more death, no more murder, no more rape, no more IRS, no more mosquitoes, no more copperhead snake. We will be in a place. Come on now. So this is why when I said you need to be watching ready and eager, don't just look at what's happening. The Bible says lift up your heads, my friend, because your salvation is nearer now than the day you first believed. Well, where were we? What verse there? These demonic spirits. Uh, verse 15, Jesus said, I'm coming. And verse 16 now, the demonic spirits gather the ruler and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. Tell your neighbor, this is not Bruce Willis and an asteroid. Armageddon. This is a picture of the final conflict of good and evil. Now, when I say it, the, the revelation tends to sometimes go backwards on subjects and sometimes to repeat subjects, you'll also see this final conflict talked about in Revelation chapter 19, each with a little different perspective, the first couple verses. But Armageddon, by definition, is a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word Hermegiddo, which means the hill of Megiddo. Now, a transliteration simply means in the language that is doing the translating, there was no word for this hermegiddo, just like the word baptism. I mean, this is confusing in the New Testament. People are baptized with repentance. They're baptized in water. They're baptized with the Holy Spirit. They're baptized in suffering. They're baptized with fire. So when the translators tried to translate in English, we had no English word that was comparable to the Greek word baptizo. So we made up a word, a transliteration, and that's what the word meant. So this, 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 this Armageddon, it's the plain of Megiddo that's in northern Palestine. Many battles in Israel's past have been fought there. Many battles have been fought there. Uh, and it's not just between the Israelis, Israelis and their enemies. It's been other nations of the world. Napoleon uh, gathered his troops on this plain and many others as well. Uh, but the, the, the idea that this battle conveys, uh, conveys is swift and overwhelming destruction of those that are fighting against the Lord. It is a picture of Jesus saying, I'm tired of it. World events have come to an end. People have had a chance to embrace me as Savior. They've rejected me. Now judgment will begin. But now here's a question. Who is fighting this war? Who are, uh, I don't know, it says all the kings of the earth and their armies, so we know these are the bad guys. Jesus is the good guy. I believe it's the Jews that are fighting in this battle of Armageddon on the side of the Lord. You say, well, why, Pastor? Let me give you two scriptures that I find very intriguing. Number one, in the book of Revelation, the early part of the book, uh, the Lord said, don't harm the land or the, or, or, or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And what's the Antichrist going to do? The mark of the beast, forehead or hand? But a seal of, on the servants of God. And I heard a number of those who were sealed 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. So it's like Israel was from Abraham until the birth of Jesus Christ, the focal people in the scripture. Their first or second temple was destroyed in 70 AD. The church age begins on the day of Pentecost, and the Jews somewhat slip into the background. 
But now we will see that once again, God will turn his attention to the Jewish people and they will become ones that are aligned with him. You say, well, now how do you know that, preacher? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Romans chapter 11. Now you remember Romans 11, it gave us a picture of a tree and a branch being broken off, which was the Jews, And the Gentiles being grafted into that tree. You understand grafting. How the Gentiles are grafted into the tree. Well, once again, now the Jews are going to be grafted back in. Romans 11.25 says this. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. What does it mean? A hardening. The Messiah of the Jews, now only 2% of the Israelis believe in him. But at some point in time, now the focus is on Gentiles, non-Jews, all who will believe in Christ. But notice what it says, uh, uh, the Gentiles have come in, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, how many know you're only saved through the blood of Christ? Which implies a massive conversion in Israel. We're following this pastor, the, uh, Israel Proctor, every day. He does a little YouTube, a little clip. And, and my wife said the other day, hey, today he said that our nation has been horribly divided, but this war is causing us to unite again. Now, that's a positive step in the right direction. But notice what it says. In this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written, and it quotes Isaiah 59, the deliverer, Jesus, will come from Zion or Jerusalem And he will turn godliness away from Jacob or Israel. This is the covenant. I will take away their sin. Which means that the Jewish people are going to experience a spiritual awakening. That they are going to have a monumental, a massive turn to Jesus Christ. And Jesus will lead them to defeat the armies of darkness once and forever. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now, the question that we need to ask ourselves, is this current war the beginning of Armageddon? Or is it just one step closer, like the war of 1948? I don't know. Only God knows. But my friends, these events will happen, and they seem to line up. Uh, let Let me conclude with this. How should we live our best life in light of the end time events? Now, if you're thinking about Cracker Barrel, turn it off because this is the most important message. You can't do anything about when the Antichrist comes or who it is. You can't do anything about this battle of Armageddon. But Jesus now is going to tell us what we can do as we see the signs of the times. And there's three words that we're going to focus on. Watch, ready, and eager. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24. This is when Jesus is speaking of the last days. His disciples asked Jesus, what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Now, that's pretty interesting. Uh, I've been thinking lately about when duck season is going to start. It's pretty important to me. Any duck hunters here? Yeah. Anybody get a big deer yesterday? Anybody poach a big Okay, so we have no deer meat for, 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 for anybody today. Uh, anybody waiting for the 35% off sale at Dillard's on that jacket you're looking at? These things are important. No, I'm being serious. They are important. They're a part of life. We live our life. We enjoy our life. But I'm telling you, when we talk about the second coming of Christ, come on now, and the end of the world, a sale at Dillard's does not matter. Okay. Jesus told them, and listen to what Jesus said. This first thing, don't let anyone deceive or mislead you. Many, now this is, many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. Many will come, they will deceive many. Now, I'm scratching my head. I still don't know if these people will wear a big gold chain that says Jesus Or maybe they will just be people that say, 
I can deliver you from this problem. I can solve this problem. I, can solve, I, I am a leader if you will follow me. So how do, you, how do you keep yourself away from deception? I only know two things. Number one, the Bible. That's why it's so important to read the Bible every day. Make it a part of your life. Let it go down deep in your life so you can discern truth. And number two, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit just telling you something's not right about this. So that was the first one, deceiving. Look at verse 6. Uh, you're going to hear of wars and threats of wars. <laughs> okay on that one. But what's he say? Don't panic. Fear not because God is with you. I don't care how bad it gets. I don't care what goes on. I don't care if they run out of toilet paper. <laughs> don't panic. You are a child of God. God loves you so much he died on the cross for you. Don't panic. Look beyond the visit to the dentist office. Come on, at the pretty new tooth he put in to fill the one that was broken. Look beyond it. Don't panic. Uh, verse 9, I'm not very comfortable with, but I'm going to read it to you. You're going to be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world for one simple reason. You are my followers. Why do the Palestinians and Arabs hate the Jews? Why? It's not logical. Why were they brought up in school talking about jihad and killing themselves? Why is that? It's illogical. Because they were the chosen people. They were the ones that the Messiah would come through. And there was that demonic spirit of anger and hatred and jealousy that followed it. But Jesus said, listen, it may get difficult. And, and, and then he says this, many will turn away from me. Now, I don't know if that means an apostasy, turning your back on Christ. Are you saved? Are you not saved? You can figure that out. I'm just telling you, Jesus said, many will turn away from me. Why is that? Well, the parable of the sower cell tells us it's because some believers' roots don't go down deep. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away. That's why it's so important to not just answer an altar call to give your life to Christ, to grow as a Christian. Uh, many will turn away from me. There'll be more and more evil in the world. How many can say, I see it, preacher? It's everywhere. Most people will stop showing their love for each other. This describes our world, friend, to the T. But verse 13, he who endures to the end will be saved. Which, what does that mean, friend? Hang in there, baby. Don't give up. Tie a rope in the end of your knot. Do all you can do, but trust the Holy Spirit to give you supernatural sustainability. Come on now. When you can't go through it, when you can't do it, you can be like Stephen. When Stephen was being stoned by rocks, he looked up and said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he didn't even feel the rock. There's something supernatural that will sustain us. Now, verse 14, this is something that you and I can do. The good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. And then the end will come. That, my friend, is why our church is so committed to world missions. That is why we sent money to Tanzania. Next week, we're going to send, tell you about a church sending money to start a church in Ireland that is basically uh, uh, no, very few Christians in one of the parts of Ireland. We're doing things all over the world. A missions group is going to Mexico next week from our church. They're building churches. They're going to primitive people. They're giving away Bibles. They're helping the poor. They're preaching the good news. Why is this? Because this is what we can do to bring about the second coming of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of ready to get out of this place. Come on now. I got my stomach hurts a little bit. My ears ring and I got all these problems and you got problems and there's financial pressures. Come on now. And there's snakes and alligators and crocodiles and mosquitoes and IRS agents. All this stuff. I'm kind of ready for something that's a little better. I'm kind of ready for a place where there's no more dying, no more crying, no more suffering, no more pain for the former things will have passed away. Now, this, my friend, is what the Bible teaches for the believer. Well, let me close with this. Let us continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and bless the nation of Israel any way we can. Uh, Psalm 122.6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love her be safe. Genesis 12.3, I'll bless those who bless you. 
Anything you give, and it's on that little app. It says, Israel, Voice of Judah, 100% to humanitarian aid. I want to give to places that I know the money is going with the gospel. You can pray. You can influence your government officials. I was so thrilled. Uh, our, our, my, our representative, Congressional Rep Moran, sent out a, an email this week, and he talked about how he was standing up for Israel, that he was a believing Christian and encouraging others to do so. We need to do anything that's in our power. And I'm going to close with this. Be watchful, ready, and eagerly awaiting for the second coming. Now, this is an attitude. Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus said this, No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. You must be ready all the time. You say, well, how do I do that, preacher? I'll tell you how you do it. As soon as you roll out of bed this morning, and i got to be honest, my wife woke me up at 5 o'clock. She said I woke her up to go to the bathroom, but she woke me up at 5 o'clock, and I couldn't go back to sleep, and all the married couples said. But anyway, what does that have to do with anything? Oh, 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 oh. Then my alarm went off to get up to come to church, and I didn't want to get out of bed. And I hit the snooze. I'm not going to tell you how many times. But when I got out of bed, I got on my knees. And I said, Jesus, I give you my life today. I want you to use me for your good. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And then I headed for the shower. What's my point? Get up in the morning and say, Lord, here I am. I'm your servant. And look for opportunities. If you're going to Cooper Tire, you're not going to build tires. That's your ministry field. That's your mission field. You go out there and minister to Jesus while you're making tires. Are you with me today? Reach the world for Jesus Christ. And my closing scripture is probably my favorite of the day. It is the second to the last verse in the Bible. Jesus Christ said this, yes, I am coming soon and then the response of the people through John the Revelator come Lord Jesus say it out loud come Lord Jesus come Lord Jesus not just to deliver me from the junk in the world but so I can be with you come on in the people of God forever and ever and evermore so sin and temptation will be over. So doubt and fear will be no more. Come on now. Because we have been adopted into the family of God. And eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Give him a big hand today. He is worthy. Now, I want to ask you a question. Are you ready for these end time events? Are you ready? Now, I'm going to, first, I want to ask the Christians, are you ready? You say, Pastor, what's a Christian? That's somebody who believes in Jesus and follows him. If you're not following Jesus, you may not be really believing. I'm going to talk first to the Christian who is, who is, who's born again. And then I want to talk to those of us that are here today that may have never made the decision to follow Christ. But I want everybody, everybody to bow their head. And I want you to have a private moment with God right now. And I want to ask you a couple questions. First to the Christian. Are you serving the Lord? Or are you just going to church on Sunday? Are you serving the Lord? Are you reaching people for Jesus? With your time, your talent, treasure. When's the last time you invited somebody to church or shared your testimony or did an act of kindness in the name of the Lord? Is your relationship with Jesus, is it growing? Is it falling backwards? Or is it plateaued? Just close your eyes and take a minute with God. We remembered in communion that God forgives us for our sins. But it's not enough just to say, I don't want to sin. I want to be an active follower of Christ. I want there to be enough evidence in my life that I'm a committed Christian, that I could be convicted in any court in the world as a believer. I don't want to get distracted by the things of the world. Talk to, talk to the Lord now. I, I, I don't want offenses to isolate me from the body of Christ. 
I don't want my addictions to define me. I want to put some Bibles in people's hands that don't have them. I want to help a missionary. I want to help those that are poor. If this is what you're wanting, I want you to just slip your hands to heaven. Watching online, do the same thing. Just join us. Slip your hands to heaven and say, Holy Spirit, help me. Because I know that I sin. I know that I'm weak. I know that my world is overwhelming and I'm easily distracted. And I just say, I want to give you my life afresh. Just talk to him right now. Say, Holy Spirit, just come today and quicken my heart. Put fresh fire in my bones. I don't want to just do the right thing because I'm supposed to or disciplined. I want to delight in it. I want to serve in Jesus to be the joy of my life. Hallelujah. Ask the Lord to fill you afresh right now. Ephesians 5 says, be continually filled with the Spirit. We need that. We need that. I want you to look at me eyeball to eyeball just a minute. I want to close with this. That was for the Christians. Now, if you'd have asked me if I was a teenager, you're a Christian, I'd have said yes. And if you'd have said why, I'd have said, well, I go to church and I'm a pretty good person. Well, you know what? Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Being a good person wants you to get, get you to heaven. The Bible says you're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Let me tell you in a nutshell, I'm speaking right now to two groups of people. Number one, someone that has never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And number two, someone that has at one time committed your life to Christ, but you got away from him. You don't know how it happened. It makes you ashamed you got away from the Lord and you want to come back. See, here's our problem. The cross representing the presence of God, Adam and Eve were close to God every day. They walked with God and they talked with God and God knew them by name and they saw his face and, and they were his children and he was their father. But God told them not to do one thing and it was to eat of the fruit of the Garden of Eden. And they did. They disobeyed God and sin came into the world and they were driven from the Garden of Eden. And now there was a separation. They no longer saw God. They knew God was real. They could look at creation. They knew he existed. But selfishness had taken over. An independent will had taken over. And God knew that ultimately this would lead towards judgment. And heaven is real, but hell is real. And the ultimate judgment for our sin. The Bible says God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Heaven was prepared for the devil and his angels. But those that reject the offer of Christ and refuse to follow him, the Bible says you will stand before God as your judge one day. Well, who wants that? When what the cross of Jesus Christ offers is the forgiveness of sins. Jesus came to this earth. You say, Pastor... What does it mean to believe in Jesus? To believe in Jesus means that Jesus came from heaven as the Son of God. He died on the cross, not for his mistakes, but he died for my sins and the sins of the whole human race. He hung there until he died, and then he said it is finished, and a way was made to heaven to be restored to God. They buried him in the ground three days, and on the third day the stone was rolled away, and he came back to life as King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day he's coming back to this earth Come on now, to, to take home everyone that believes in him. So you say, well, I believe that. Then my question to you is this. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Because the Bible uses these words to, uh, to identify the Christian. Repentance, which means I've turned to God. I mean, you can believe in your head about God, but still go your way away from God. But to repent and turn to God means I turn my life over to Jesus. I'm still going to make mistakes. I'll look at the world, but I'll ask for God's forgiveness and I'll keep following Him. And if you're here today and you feel like I'm talking directly to you and you need to get right to God, let me tell you, friend, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit in me that's trying to woo you to make a commitment to Christ. And if you're here today and say, Pastor, I'd like to get right with God. I want to become a follower of Jesus. We want to pray with you. 
And I'm going to ask you to do two bold things. The first thing I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and let me know who you are. What's going to happen then is people are going to clap for you. You say, well, why would I do that? Here's the deal, friend. If you can't stand for Jesus in a church house where people are clapping, you will never stand for Jesus in the world. Following Jesus is a decision, and it is the first decision you will make. And the second decision later, I'm going to ask you to come to the cross and let somebody pray for you as you make the greatest commitment of your life. And your heart may be beating out of your chest right now because you know that God is calling you. And there's something about the power of walking to the cross to declare to the to the world. I am a Christian. So if that's you today, I'm going to start in this far section. If you're over here and say, Pastor John, I'd like to get my life right with God today. I want to pray and commit my life to Christ. And I want to say it before the whole world. Would you just lift your hand real high? Anyone in this section, give her a big hand. God bless you, dear. God bless you. Anybody else here? Give her a big hand in the back. God bless you too. Anyone else? Say, pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ. How about this section? Say, pray for me. Pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Anyone here today, pray for me. I want to give my life. Don't hold your purse up too high. I think you're raising your hand. Anybody else here say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to get my life right with God. Anybody here today, give her a big hand today. God bless you. You have made an eternal step to God. The Bible says angels in heaven are rejoicing. Anybody else say, pray for me. I need to get my life right with God. I see a hand here. Give her a big hand today. God bless you, dear. Any others today, give him a big hand. Give her a big hand. God bless you. We are proud of you. Anyone else today, say pray for me. How about over here? Give her a big hand. God bless you. Any others today, say pray for me. Pray for me. I want to get my life right with God. Come on, give these folks a big hand. The Bible says angels in heaven rejoice. Rejoice. Let's all stand to our feet right now. And I want to ask all you that lifted your hand, make your second big step and come to the cross and let us pray for you. Come on, all you that lifted your hand, give them another big hand right now. People that are making steps to Christ, whether you lifted your hand or not, come on, slip out of your chair. You can bring your friend with you, bring your spouse with you if you want someone to come. But come to the cross and let your confession, let us pray with you as you publicly invite Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior. There's others that are here. Give her a big hand as she's coming. God bless you, dear. God bless you, dear. God bless you, dear. Come on, give these ladies right here a big hand that are coming down the aisle. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you both. I'm proud of you. God bless you. Every step to God. Every step to God. Here's a lady using the cane coming up. Every step to God is a right step. God bless the two of you. Come on, give them a big hand as they're coming. There's other others that are here today. There's others that are here today. You're walking away from your whole life. Here comes two down this aisle over here. Give them a big hand as they're coming right now. Committing your life to Christ. You will always remember this day. October 22nd, 19 or 2023 is the day I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And there's another one. Give her a big hand as she comes. All right, listen, I need some Christians to come and stand around these that are gathering up here. But here's how we're going to close the service. It's been a great day, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Our prayer team is going to come to the front, and if you want prayer, there'll be somebody here for you. Pastor Zach will lead us in the last song, and then we'll dismiss. And I love you, and I'm so glad you came today.